Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> um, I'm Pat, and I get to give the message today, and so I'm just happy to see everyone here in church, and I'm happy for everyone that's online. I, I pray our service for you is a blessing. Um, and so, as Pastor Tim said, um, I'm Pat, and this is the, my first time preaching um, in Shepherd's Gate, and uh, we thought it would be good if I took a little bit of time uh, to give you a little bit of story about my background. And so, um, we're in Joshua right now, and, and we'll get to Joshua in just a second. But first, here's the pictures of myself and my beautiful bride, Chris. Uh, we've been married for 33 years, and we have three kids. We have our daughter, Jamie, we have our son, Nathan, and then we have a daughter, Dana. And um, we've been members of Shepherd's Gate for about 23 years. Um, and we love to do a lot of things. We're pretty active. We love to travel. We love to hike, motorcycling, camping. We really like to do a lot of things. And I'm an engineer at General Motors, and Chris is partially retired. She works on staff here part-time, and she volunteers part-time down at the Family of God. Um, and so now let me introduce to you my wife, Chris, along with two of our daughters, our two daughters, I should say, Jamie and Dana. See, Jamie is the daughter in the middle, and just look at these. Look at these bright, white, expensive smiles. <laughs> We're still paying for these. So. But Jamie's our daughter, our youngest daughter, shown in the middle there, and she's living at home with us, and we're just hanging on to Jamie as tight as we can because she's fun, she's hardworking, and she's at home with us, and for as long as we can, we're going to hang on to our youngest daughter and just, and just hold her tight. And here's Dana with her recently announced fiancé, Ethan. And they're getting married in October. And the other young couple is, or are, Ethan's parents, Lee and Melinda. And what's really cool is Lee and Melinda are watching us live on stream right now. <laughs> they're live streaming from Utica. Utica, Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. And what's really cool is today is Lee and Melinda's 28th wedding anniversary. So let's give them a little applause. So congratulations and many more, and we love you guys, and we hope to see you soon. Now here's my son and his beautiful wife, Haley. So that first picture there is when Nathan proposed to Haley on the shores of the Mediterranean. And then the middle picture is when Nathan and Haley got married on the shores of Lake Michigan. And that third picture is really special because it's not too long ago, Nathan and Haley came to our house and told Chris and I that we're going to be grandparents for the very first time. Yep. And so Nate's holding a picture there of our grandson, who we learned yesterday we're gonna, they're going to have a boy. So we're just super excited. Our family is continuing to grow with Dana's marriage and Nathan and Haley, um, you know, having a child, and, and uh, it's just, we're just so blessed. And, and so now I'll turn the, to myself a little bit and uh, go a little deeper about myself. And if I were to think of a theme um, for myself and my faith walk and, and my life here at Shepherd's Gate, um, I think I would have to call it uh, blessed to grow and blessed to serve. Um, and we've been blessed so much here by Shepherd's Gate and by, the, by the, our church and, and our faith walk. And so let me just share a little bit about how that's worked out for me. You see, several years ago, through inspirations of pastors and uh, mentors and Bible studies, you know, I started to pray this prayer. 
And this prayer went something like this. It went, Father, would you please just help me push all the stuff out of my life? Just help me push it away, clear it off, and make room to serve you. Lord, would you tell me what it is that you want me to do and give me the strength to do it? And Lord, you know I'm an engineer, so you've got to be clear I'm not an artist. Um, there's a beautiful thick head of hair on my head, but you've got to get through that skull too. So Lord, just please be clear. Give me clarity as to what you want me to do. And then give me the strength to do it. So that led us and our family to start doing mission trips through Shepherd's Gate. And we, in 2008, we went to Belize with the church, our whole family. And that launched 10 years of doing mission trips every year with our family, either in Belize or in the group work, the group work camps. So over a, decade, we, over a decade, we went to 10 mission trips. And let me tell you, these mission trips changed our lives. They really rocked our world. What we experienced, what we learned, what we saw, what we saw God do was absolutely incredible. I could talk about this, and every one of us who have been on these trips, we could talk about this like crazy. So I'm back in my prayer again about 2014, and you know, this common prayer, and the Lord says to me, in a rather abrupt way, the Lord says to me, I want you to go on Mission of Hope, Honduras. Um, and so Chris and I met with Bill and Ellen Gass, um, spent some time with them, and the next thing you know, we're in Honduras. And that started over a period of about a five-year period of time, four trips to Honduras. And let me tell you, serving in Honduras is pretty rough. Um, it's a tough place. And here, God really wrecked us. I mean, the Holy Spirit had started ripping out our old heart and giving us a new heart. It's just an absolutely incredible thing for us um, and for all those um, that we got to serve. And so then I'm back in this prayer again. Lord, what is it you want me to do? And we feel, Chris and I feel, the Lord said, well, these mission trips, they're great. This is what we want you to do. And step out and serve. And these types of trips, this is what we want you to do too. But we had this sermon series, this series called Every Day is the Mission Trip. And the Lord says, I want you serving for me continually. I want you continuously serving because every day, every day is a mission trip. And so that brought us to the family of God where we're there every Monday and we're serving and we get to meet people and it's been something that's really, really changed our life. You see, Family of God is a place in southwest Detroit. And the people we serve in Family of God are the homeless, the poor, the afflicted, and the addicted. They're the people that our society says you're worthless, you're useless, no one loves you, no one will ever love you. And so we go down there with a lot of other churches and a lot of wonderful people, and we bring the word of God to them. We tell them, you are loved. We love you. God loves you. You are valued. You are important. You see, this family of God mission, I like to say that it turned my world upside down, but really it turned my world right side up. And just an incredible thing, and we're still involved with that, and God is really blessing us in that ministry. And so then I'm back in this prayer again, and I'm saying, Lord, okay, great. What, what is it now that you want me to do? And if I can just like sum that up, is, is my plan. You see, we're on, a, we're on a road trip, Chris and I, and, and I'm praying this prayer, and, and God kind of comes to me, and he says, I want you to be better equipped for my ministries. And like, 
I had no idea what he meant by that. What, what am I supposed to do? And, and so uh, some struggle and some time goes by, and I, and I talk with people, but I end up in the deacon program. And so now I'm in the deacon program, and I'm learning and growing tremendously. It's, it's awesome. And what's really awesome about it is I have four pastors and two vicars as my mentors. So you couldn't be in a better place than I am right now than in this deacon program. So I'm continuing to grow, and I'm continu- continuing to, um, um, to uh, move forward. And so, but what's my plan? Well, in a few years, we're going to be retired and, and really don't know what my plan is. In about two years, I'll be done with the deacon program. So what happens next? Well, I think what happens next is whatever God decides what happens next. And, you know, if you recall, a few weeks back, we had a service where we had our cards given out to us and we wrote our plans on our cards. And so this is what I wrote on that Sunday. Um, I wrote, Pat's plan is to cling to God's promises and to move forward by faith. Well, that sounds pretty good, but really, my card is incomplete. You see, there's something missing from my card, and that is, what's the object of my faith? You see, do I have faith? Am I putting my faith in myself, my education, my job, my family, my stuff? Where am I really placing my faith? And that brings us to our tough question for today. Where do we really place our faith? So if we walk down the hall and go to S gate ch- kids and we go into the fifth grade class and we say, where do you place your faith? They're all going to say, Jesus, right? They're going to say Jesus, and that's the right answer. It's abs- and that's the answer we want them to give us. But for us, as time goes by and things get hard and life throws a lot of tough stuff at us, and it gets messy, this question becomes really difficult. Where do I really put my faith? Because I'm taught I'm supposed to solve problems by myself. That's a struggle. That's our society, right? Pick up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and have at it, right? Where do we really place our faith? Well, we're going to dig into this um, nice and deep today as we go into Joshua. And so let's bump into Joshua now. And so we're going to Joshua chapters 11 and 12. And we have our chair Bibles. If you want to pull out a chair Bible, you'll find that on page 187. And if you're online and you're streaming or on the apps, you can click and the text will come up. We'll also have the text on the screen here. So, And one, one other thing. If you don't have a Bible for your family or if you don't have a personal Bible, please feel free to grab one of these Bibles and take them home. We have a lot of Bibles and we would just love to bless you this way. So please, please, if you don't have one, please take a Bible. So we're in Joshua chapter 11. And so I want to give a quick recap of what's happened up until this point. So Joshua starts out with Moses passing away and God commissioning Joshua to lead Israel. Then we have the story of Rahab. She saves the spies that Joshua sends um, and she gets them back safely and she recognizes God and has faith. And as a result of that, she is saved and her entire family is spared from the destruction in Jericho. Speaking of Jericho, that was the, real, that was the first city that, that uh, Israel conquested in Jericho. We're all familiar with that story and maybe the songs that go with it. Um, and then we have the Gibeonites who had a peace treaty with Israel. And then following that, we have the destruction of all the southern cities of Israel. And that brings us now to Joshua chapter 11, the northern cities. So let's jump in to Joshua chapter 11. 
When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard this, he sent word to Jobab, king of Madan, to the kings of Shimron and Ashkaph, to the northern kings who were in the mountains, in the Arabs south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills, in Naphthor-dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites and in the hill country, and to the Hivites below Hebron in the regions of Mizpah. You see, King Jabin basically ripped out his Canaanite iPhone, and he starts Instagramming all of these kings, and he's saying, guys, what are we going to do? And he had to use an iPhone because they, they didn't have Android phones. So, it wasn't, so, they, and so he's Instagramming all these people. What, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? So what do you think they did? Well, here's what they did. They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army as numerous as the sands on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Merom to wage war against Israel. You see, King Jabin's plan was to create this huge army and wipe Israel from the face of the earth. So you can see, where did King Jabin put his faith? He put his faith in the alliance that he could form, in this massive army that he could form. And he was going to take Israel off the face of the earth. So you can think now Joshua knows this massive army is forming, probably the biggest army ever in Canaan, and they're forming against him. And so what do you think God said to Joshua? Well, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them slain over to Israel, and you are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So God says, don't be afraid. Put your faith in my word. He says, I will hand them over. Put your faith in me, in my works. And he says, disable their horses, burn their chariots. You are not going to use Canaanite weapons of war in my army, for I will be your victor. I will lead you through all of your victories. So that's what the Lord has to say to Joshua. See, in the Old Testament, we see again and again where God says, trust in me and I'll provide for you. Amen. Amen. And in the New Testament, Jesus says again and again, trust in me and I'll provide for you. We see here in John, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Amen, right? You can't turn on TV without seeing how much trouble we have in this world on TV and in our personal lives. But Jesus says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So Jesus is saying, I have told you these things. Jesus is saying, trust in my word. Jesus is saying, in me you may have peace. He's saying, trust in my works. And he says, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, trust in my works, for I will give you victory over your sins. In Romans, we see, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
Now, I got to think Joshua has this in his mind, right? He's gone up against these other battles, and every battle they go up against, it gets harder and harder. And now he's got this massive army formed against us. And I got to think that Joshua has this in his mind. If God is for us, who can be against us? Have courage, follow God. And you know, Joshua was right. You see, so Joshua and his whole army came against them and suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. And he was obedient. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. You see, the Lord gave them into the hands. The greatest army outnumbered horses and chariots against foot soldiers, and the Lord, in one day, took the biggest army and brought it to its knees and handed it over to Israel. See, Israel, they had faith in God's word, they had courage, and they knew God would deliver, and God delivered. So now it gets tough. This next part really gets tough for us, and let's look at the next part. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hazor and put its king to the sword. Hazor had been the head of these kingdoms. Everyone in it they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed, and he burned Hazor itself. This is really tough. This is tough scripture. It's really tough for our culture. Why did God kill everyone? See, we understand that God is loving and God is just, but this is tough. Why did this happen? People can say, if you have a loving God, then why did God do this? Well, the answer is, is in, in this. You see, in earlier messages in the sermon series, we learned that these Canaanites had nothing but hatred towards God. They were evil. They had contempt for God. And they did hideous, horrific things. And they did this for a long period of time. For hundreds of years, God gave them patience to return and stop their sin, and instead their sin got worse and worse and worse. Until finally God said, Enough! I'm removing you from the face of my earth. Now where else have we seen this in Scripture? Where God said mankind has become so wicked that I'm going to remove them from the earth. Well, we see this in the flood. We see this in the account in Genesis with Noah. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him. Can you imagine mankind at that point had so much hatred towards God that he regretted even making us and the world. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. See, what the Lord said is here, I'm going to start over. I'm going to wipe out the earth. I'm going to remove this evil from my earth, and I'm going to replace it with the remnant Noah who has love and faith in me. And I'm going to rebuild, starting with Noah and moving on. And that's what happened in Canaan. You see, the Canaanites had that same evil 
and hatred towards God. And God said, enough. I'm going to remove the Canaanites from the promised land, and I'm going to replace them with my people, Israel, who love me and have faith in me. And so that's exactly what God did when they went into Canaan and they removed everyone. So Joshua took this entire land, all of it, the entire north Joshua took. And Joshua waged war against these kings for a long time. This wasn't an overnight deal for Joshua. I was looking into this, and some Bible scholars think that this warring took on more than seven years. Seven years of walking back and forth across Canaan, fighting war after war, fighting king after king. And they had to walk because they burned all the chariots. Walking back and forth. That took a lot of obedience for Joshua and all of Israel. And that's a tough word, obedience. You know, I like grace. I love the word grace because it means all of my mistakes, all of my sins are forgiven. But I struggle with the word obedience because I like to do things my way. And as my wife can testify, I really like to do things my way. So that's the struggle. Being obedient is hard for me. It's hard for us because it's unnatural. But Joshua and Israel were obedient to God. So that brings up a good question. Did that obedience save them? Do our works save us? Well, we know the answer to that is no. You know, we believe, we confess that we are saved by God's grace through faith in God's word and the gospel and the works of Jesus Christ. You see, our salvation is 100% the work of God and God alone. So how does this all work together then with obedience? Well, you see, it's because we are saved that we humble ourselves and we want to serve our God. And so we dig into the scripture to learn more about our God and what he wants us to do. And it's because we are saved and we know that we are saved that we strive to be obedient. But it's unnatural for us to be obedient. It's natural for us to be sinners. So it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do the unnatural and be obedient to God. And that's what we believe is happening with Israel and Joshua. And that's what we believe happens with us. Our obedience to God is through his power of his Holy Spirit. So, moving on, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites, who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel. So I'd pause here because what does it mean for the Lord to harden their hearts? We've seen this phrase in Scripture before. And what does it mean? So I, I looked into this because I didn't really understand what do you mean the Lord hardened their hearts? And so this is what I learned looking into this. You see, the hardening of the heart occurs when God gives a person over to the unrepentant sin in their heart. The person has complete evil and contempt towards God. And so because of that, God says, fine, I'm going to withdraw from you. I'm going to leave you to yourself. I'm going to leave you on your own. I'm going to withdraw and leave you to be, and you can be your own God. So that's the hardening of the heart, is this God says, okay, I'm going to withdraw from you. And we saw that in the Genesis account, and we see this in the account here with the Canaanites, 
God withdraws from them. So to me, this is pretty troubling. This is kind of concerning. You know, if we don't put our faith in the right place, what's going to happen? So let's see what Jesus says about this. Just one button. There, in Mark. This is the Great Commission. Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This isn't a command. This isn't a request. This is a command. God says, take my word and share it with those who haven't heard it. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, Jesus is saying, share my word, let people receive my grace. Let people receive faith in me, faith in the works of Jesus Christ, and these sinners will be saved. But it's the unrepentant sinner, the person who hates God, they're going to stand condemned. So jump back to Joshua. At that time, Joshua went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country and basically everyone else in the northern kingdoms. And finally, the land had rest from war. You see, Israel had marched through the desert for 40 years, right? They roamed around for 40 years, and then they crossed the Jordan, and then for about seven more years, Israel fought wars. So for 47 years, Israel did nothing but roam and fight wars. And now finally, Israel had rest. So that's the end of Joshua chapter 11. And I got all day, so let's go into Joshua chapter 12. <laughs> the list of the defeated kings, okay? Because I'm getting into this. The list of defeated kings. Okay, so here's the list of defeated kings. In all, over 30 kings were defeated in the north and removed. See, God took the evil that was in Canaan and he removed it from his world. So what we saw in Genesis and what we see here in Joshua is actually a foreshadow to what we see in Revelations. In the second coming of Christ, the Lord is going to come. He's going to separate the evil from the righteous. He's going to separate those who hate him from those who love him. And that this separation is going to be eternal. And so those who hate Jesus, God are going to get what they want. And they're going to be separated from God. And those who love God are going to be with God for eternity. So that brings me to some thoughts I have. You see this theme in Joshua and throughout Scripture of God's grace and God's word. You know, I seem to see two things happen when we hear God's word and God's grace. So one of two things happen. We can hear God's word and, and see God's grace in action, and that can harden the heart. We saw that in the Genesis account. We saw that with the Canaanites. They saw God in action, and they rejected God, and they hated him. And we also see the other thing that can happen is receiving God's word and his grace can soften the heart. In fact, it doesn't just soften the heart, it replaces a heart with a new heart. A heart that wants God, a heart that loves God, and a heart that wants to serve God. So that brings us back now to our really tough question. Where do we really place our faith? Because I struggle with this. Thought, the thought of this really gives me some anxiety. See, because I still want to fix everything myself. Right? I still have this tendency to hear what our society says, and then do it. You're responsible, you're on your own, I did it my way, as the song goes, right? And 
I struggle with this because I see in Scripture that when the object of our faith isn't God, that can separate us from God. So I struggle with that because I see myself trying to fix things myself instead of going to God. But yet when I know the object of my faith is clear. So what does that mean to Chris and I in our future? So I'm close to retirement. Chris is basically retired. And so do we do. And if, when I retire, what are we going to do? Are we going to grab a Winnebago and great, make the biggest bucket list in history and crisscross across the country and do our bucket list and say to ourselves, we worked 40 years. We served. We gave. We raised our kids. Now it's time to eat, drink, and be merry. That's retirement. That's what people strive for. That's what we're kind of taught in our culture. We have uh, this retirement plan that says, put your faith in your 401k. <laughs> and then we have this retirement plan that says, don't put your faith in your 401k. You guys, put your faith in me. See, how old was Moses when he led Israel out of Egypt? He was old. How old was Joshua when he led Israel into the promised land? Old. They were both way older than me. Joshua and Moses were the boomers of their time. And us boomers, we still have a lot to give. God has given us knowledge and experience in many, many years of making mistakes that we can share with other people so they don't make the same mistakes. He's given us the word of God to share. And younger people, you have so much more to give. And us as Christians, we have the best thing to give. We have the word of God to give. We have the word of God to give and to share, to edify each other, to give us strength, and to share it with people who don't know God. We have the best thing in the world to give. So I look back at our question and say, where do we really place our faith? And this is a struggle for me, and it's a struggle for a lot of people. I'm sure it's a struggle for all of us because we're all in a different place in our lives. We all have our struggles, our challenges. Some of us have lost loved ones recently. We have people that we love who are sick and struggling. There's job losses. There's everything. This world can be a real, real mess. And this can kind of pull us apart from God. But I believe we really know the answer to this question. We know the answer to this question. It's up here in our heads. The struggle for me is from getting it from my head into my heart. So now, thanks to this accountant Joshua, I can fix my card. I can now fix my card and make it correct and make it read what it's supposed to read. And so now my card says Pat's plan to cling to God's promises and move forward by faith. Faith in God, faith in his word, and faith in his promise. And that faith will shape my life. And that faith will shape your lives. Amen. Amen. Let me close us in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. It is always a blessing to us. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. May it continue to soften our hearts and give us a new heart. May it strengthen our faith and preserve us. May it 
Give us faith in your word and in your gospel. And Lord, through your Holy Spirit and your word, may we take this to our friends. May we have the courage, Lord, to share your gospel with our family, our friends, and to those people that we meet. Lord, and through your Holy Spirit and through your word, may we pack the gates of heaven with loving believers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.